Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sena, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, an episode that is going to be thought-provoking, note-taking, and very timely considering all the stresses and strains we have in the world right now. I'm gonna be joined behind the microphone by Chelsea Myers, founder and owner of Dental Life Coach. A number of you know Chelsea, may have met her at some of our conferences as well, and I've appeared on her podcast before. She is a truly unique person in our industry, and she's gonna bring a lot of value to all of us this afternoon. Please get your pad and pen ready. Brew another wonderful cup of that Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Well, welcome everybody once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports, and I am super excited about today's guest. Super excited because I feel like it's been since about 2009 since I appeared on her podcast, and it's taken us that long to get this thing scheduled. But I'm joined today by Chelsea Myers of Dental Life Coach for what's going to be a really interesting and compelling conversation. Chelsea, thanks so much at long last for being on the show with me today. Hey, Perrin, thank you so much. I don't think it's been that long, but I am really glad to be here. Thanks for having me. I know podcasts weren't even probably around in 2009, (laughs) but our schedules between you and me have not done us any favors as of late. And this has been something that I've wanted to to do um, uh, for a while. And I think our audience is going to quickly understand why I've been wanting to to have you on the show for a bit. So let's, before we really kind of get into uh, the blocking and tackling and the meat of the matter for today. Let's just take a quick second for our audience who might not know you, might not have seen, might not have heard your podcast, might not have seen you on a stage or a, a webinar or anything, and maybe tell our audience uh, a little bit about you uh, and share a little bit of your background as as well as what Dental Life Coach is all about. Take it from the top for us. So I am Chelsea Myers, the founder and CEO of Dental Life Coach, as well as the Dental Brain Crops podcast host. And, you know, really what happened for me was I think I was conveniently positioned in my family unit to be a a leader. And I say that because on both sides of my family, I am the oldest cousin. I'm the first sibling in my immediate family. And I was raised by really great parents who were raised by really great parents. Um, But on both sides, both grandparents were not college graduates. So my parents, who were high school sweethearts, entered the workforce upon graduating high school as as professionals without college in their career path. And 
they quickly found, you know, had I'm one of four, they had four kids and they quickly found that that was a really challenging way to raise a family, particularly the way that they wanted to. And so from a really young age, I had it ingrained in me to figure out what I wanted and that what I wanted should include a college path. And so um, I really appreciate that guidance that they gave me. Um, they also heavily encouraged that I do something that they determined would provide a stable and reliable income. Their recommendations were particularly either to do something in law, medicine, or finance. And so I chose finance and um, graduated um, with a business finance degree, which got my foot in the door at Wells Fargo Bank. And when I took that position at Wells Fargo Bank, I was super excited because I was going to be um, doing something that I had trained to do that I was um, passionate about doing. And I felt like I was really, really good at or going to be really, really good at. Little did I know that two weeks after accepting that position, it was going to be eliminated. <laughs> so Oof. in an effort to retain me, which I, you know, I'm very grateful that they did in an effort to retain me, Wells Fargo said, hey, um, that position is being eliminated. We're restructuring that whole department, but you have the opportunity. You can choose to work on one of three teams and we need you to decide within two days. So wow. um, I did my best and, um, you know, looked around me and considered what I could about what I knew the, my whole two weeks being there and chose the team that seemed the friendliest. And that was going to entail um, some process improvement projects, putting into place some new systems, all things that, that I was very excited about and was familiar with. And so chose my team and learned about my projects and um, walked out the door with my purse one day, very excited to put these things into action. And I assumed that the individuals I was going to be working with, who were, by the way, some uh, very seasoned in their jobs, some twice my age, um, were going to be alleviated of some of the stressors that they had <clears throat> and excited about the changes I was going to put into place. That was not the case. Um, these individuals were not at all excited about the changes that were going to be put into place. Some of them were unfamiliar with some of the softwares and systems that were going to be included. And by the way, who is this girl that just showed up two weeks ago that's half our age going to tell us how to do our jobs when we are the experts? So I had a, a I found myself in a very unique spot of um, being grateful for this position, clearly understanding what it was I needed to implement. And needing to care for the human component of this project. And that was the piece that I wasn't expecting. So I found myself going home and doing a lot of research, a lot of studying, talking to people, figuring out how can we have a successful outcome where the organization is able to grow their way they're wanting to grow and change the way they're needing to adapt and keep these people not just in place, but excited about their job still. Um, and it was, it was definitely, um, I would say, an art and a science. And the project ended up being a success. It took place over the course of 12 months. Um, but what I learned was that you needed to have the investment of the individuals. They needed to understand the changes being put into place, what each change meant to them, how it was going to impact them, what their access to resources was going to be along the way, all things that I learned, right? Um, and at the end of that, 
project, I had a manager approach me that we shared the floor with and say, hey, Chelsea, what is it that you've been doing with these people over there? Because quite honestly, we all expected you to fail. And you there's didn't. a vote of confidence from corporate yeah, America, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, but you didn't. And I want, I need to be able to manage change that way as well. I'd like to know what it is you're doing with them. And so I talked with him and he said, you know, you've got to meet this dentist friend of mine. He's talking about hiring a consultant. And I think this is exactly what he's trying to accomplish. And so I did, I talked with his friend and that was an introduction to this industry, which has been just the most beautiful thing in my life. I coached his client or his friend rather who became my client and learned a lot. I learned that I was very interested in dental and I learned that there is um, a lot of need for what I was finding was a passion of mine. So I continued my education this time focusing on human behavior and motivation. And um, I didn't actually jump in with both feet into dental at that point. I ended up working, I took a transfer to Texas with Wells and then ended up um, taking a position in the North Texas region of public school system there where I worked alongside their psychology team and legal teams and other mental health experts. And we designed and implemented a program for um, a, the autism program, actually, which was, again, really successful. I actually got to go present out in Europe. It got some attention out there. They wanted to know, you know, what about the program dynamics and the results that we were getting. And so um, that was really cool. And meantime, at night and on weekends, I was coaching and getting to know more dentists. So at the conclusion of that project, which was a couple of years, um, I asked myself some questions. You know, what do I want to do? I'm kind of double timing it here. Do I want to continue doing these projects in different organizations, which is exciting? Or do I want to jump in with both feet and dental? And to me, the answer was clear. I had fallen in love with dental and wanted to figure out how I could make that my permanent professional home. Wow. In what a what a story. Good <laughs> grief. Um, but it, it's, I mean, it's very illustrative and it, it's so um, uh, relatable to so many people, be they uh, dentist or third-party professionals. Because, you know, I feel like if, if you think about a dental practice owned by a dentist who's the largest usually the the largest revenue producer, the largest economic engine, as I like to say, in that business that is also the the personal guarantor of all the debt, the head of HR, the CEO, the CFO, uh, you know, they're doing almost all the recruiting. It's like at a solo practice level, they wear almost every hat in the business. And the impact that they make on the lives of several thousand patients on an annual basis is immense. And it is it is really one of those great um, uh, personal connection types of healthcare services business. I mean, I understand that all healthcare services has personal connection, but I, I feel like the impact, the magnitude of the impact is so great in the world of dentistry. And that is why so many people that that kind of stumble into the industry never leave. They understand the way it, it's constituted uh, at really that patient level relationship. And if we can help provide goods, services, et cetera, that facilitate that for the business owner and clinician, then it's it's really um, 
you feel more connected to the output there of what you're trying to achieve. And it's a it's a wonderful uh, industry that that keeps so many people in it for a lifetime. So very, very cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, obviously, you know, in the, as it relates to dentistry for you and working with dentists, this this maybe started out as a side hustle, if I could uh, categorize it crudely <laughs> as that, right? But, yeah. um, you know, but but you you found your way into it. It was a it became a calling. It was compelling to you. You were seeing um, uh, the impact you were making on a lot of these clients. And, and the natural extrapolation is this is where I derive the greatest level of fulfillment. And this is what I want to do with my life. And I, I have a why behind it. I have the reason um, that, that I want to be in it. So let's, let's talk about maybe your, uh, that target client, like the, the, if there is such a thing as the typical uh, person that you work with, the stage of life they're in, um, how does, you know, where do they find themselves personally and professionally? Let's, let's maybe put a little color to that for the audience. Yeah, sure. So when I decided that I wanted to make dental my home, I actually decided that I wanted to own some practices. And so I reached out to um, a guy we all know named Brian Kaleo. And he's like, well, here's exactly how that works. (laughs) And I ended up partnering in some practices and we grew it from a couple locations to a handful. And that was really beneficial to me for a couple of reasons. Um, From a different vantage point, I was able to see how my coaching was actually implemented and what was what was uh, useful. And I was also able to see what else may be useful, where I could learn and grow as um, as a coach and as a consultant. And so um, when you ask about my ideal client, my ideal client is a person who knows that they are really strong in certain areas and has identified that they also have some other areas that they would like to improve on or do some discovery on. And that might be um, their relationship with money. That might be their relationship with failure. And I say relationship, I mean, how they experience what their perception is during these, um, during these decision-making processes or these um, situations that occur in their lives. Who are they being in these situations? And do they like the way that's playing out currently? Because most of us can identify that we have certain strengths and most of us can identify where um, we could use a little bit of help. And I think that we're luckily at a time and an age in our society and even in our industry where raising your hand and asking for a, a bit of support or even just a a shift in perspective is no longer accompanied by the shame or embarrassment that it used to be. Yeah, the, I, I, the there is basically no stigma attached to it. And, and I think, um, you know, COVID was uh, an accelerant to that for so many reasons, which that's probably another entire podcast or podcast series <laughs> in and of itself, you know. But I, I think there, if I go back to my time in the corporate world, um, there, there were many instances where corporate America leadership uh, is encouraged, um, you know, to to seek uh, outside guidance for um, balance, perspective, personal development, because so many times the further up the the ladder you go, is the more uh, wrapped around the axle you become, 
you know, and, and more, right. I don't know if insular is the right word, but less self-aware probably is a better way of putting it. And I think now, you know, with, with everything that happened during COVID, this, this um, behavioral health and, and um, balance, uh, mindfulness, um, you know, it, it makes, it makes a, a, a better leader, a more engaged leader, and it certainly makes for a better work environment for everybody. And I think that's that's so critically important to not just be defined by your work, but understand your worth overall as a as a leader, as a parent, a, a spouse or a friend or colleague or anybody else. Um, let's maybe let's maybe take some of that and dive into leadership, uh, because, you know, our the people in this audience um, are uh, entrepreneurial. It goes without saying um, they mm-hmm. they want to build something bigger than themselves. They um, are typically very determined. They're driven. You know, they they want to create fulfillment. They want to create some level of successful clinical outcomes. They want to create some level of successful financial outcomes. They, you know, these are these are motivated people. And one of the things that a lot of them struggle with in the early stages of kind of building a group uh, is that um, transition to more of a, a a leadership capacity where the business no longer simply depends upon them for clinical skills. It depends upon them more for leadership skills. And that that can be a bumpy transition. So let's maybe talk about some of your work with with people in terms of leadership development, leadership and relationships, things along those lines. I wonder if you can take that from the top for us. You bet. And that is the bulk of what we do at Dental Life Coaches Leadership Development. Um, because ultimately, you know, and you and I have talked before about this, but ultimately people stay or go because of their perception of their experience at work. And that goes for you and me too, right? If we end up disliking our own companies, we're going to have to make some changes. Either we're going to change the company or we're going to change where we're at in it. Right. And so it's especially important when we're leading people in our, um, healthcare organizations, because People have options about where they want to go. And you talked about COVID being accelerant. It was also very unveiling of options that people have to work from home and make the same amount of money or more than they're making in some of our practices. So we want them to want to be there and we want them to want to be led by us, which is where we get those changes and where we're able to really develop people. So they're creating those predictable results in our practices that make us all profitable. So am I answering your question so far? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I think um, I I was looking at it recently and I don't want to misspeak here by the number of billions, but leadership development is bringing it is increasing in billions of dollars every year, how much we're spending on it. What's unique to Dental Life Coach, and I think we're the only one in dental, we're one of the only ones in the United States, is that we take our leadership development and actually provide you data about how our leadership development is tied to your bottom lines. Because in reality, if I'm doing my job, you're not just happier, you're happier and you're performing better. And so the people around you are performing better and you can actually see that on a spreadsheet. That's important, right? Because 
because we're not just emotional beings. We also have needs. And so we've got to take care of the whole person and mind, body, and spirit. spirit. And the reason, the way that we take care of ourselves includes the way that we're performing and being compensated at work. Excellent. So, yep. yeah. Sorry, sorry for interrupting. Keep going. You're good. Great. No, no, no. So when we talk about um, leadership development, there's a, you know, communication is a really big area. Um, not just being able to communicate what is wanted, but, but communicate in a way that lands well with others. Being able to create environments where people feel safe, performing, trying, failing, being innovative and creative. Um, there's a definite skill set attached to a leader who can create those types of environments. It's one thing to read a Pinterest post or, you know, have a whim where you're on a you're on a high and you're able to create a really good day, but it's another thing to create an environment that is predictably safe and healthy where people feel like they can stretch themselves and they even want to. They're excited about that. And there's it's no fault of our own if we don't already have that skill set. It's on our it's it is on us to seek out that guidance and seek out those um, developmental tools if we recognize that that's not a strong suit. It's interesting that um, uh, you go. Well, it's not interesting. It's understandable that you go that deep into that answer because I also think that um, it, it, this is um, a lot of what you're digging into has a, a generational phenomenon or a context to it, if I can put it that way. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'll, I'll be 53 at the end of this year. So I'm, I'm Gen X, right. And our, my parents uh, were the last of, of the, the IBM generation, right. I mean, they worked 40 <laughs> years somewhere. They always wore a, a blue suit and a red tie and they got a gold watch at the end of their career. Right. And, and, they, and a pension plan. Right. So that, right. that was kind of like, uh, of course, like half the people in the audience right now have no idea what IBM is or anything I just described, but it was like the lifetime employment were, were my, my parents. And for us in, at Gen X, we, we saw a lot of that and our careers have been probably the first half of it that would be modeled something similar to that. And the second half of our career, I know mine, uh, has been much more like, a. um, uh, bordering on millennial type, you know, I mean, it's, it's more, it's not a career. It's like, it's five year fits and st stops and starts and everything. And the, the way we think about the different generations and their predisposition around what they want out of uh, a workplace, an environment, a, a job, uh, and everything like that, is 100%. The younger you go is more 100%, um, wrapped around everything you just said. And I think one of the biggest challenges is when you have a business leader, somebody that's probably my age, you know, late stage of career was kind of raised one way, worked in an environment one way, and the, and the environment has dramatically, it, it had been changing for a number of years, but COVID was this on steroids, right? And now the workplace, the way we engage our employees, the way we work with them, um, you know, our, our EQ is every bit as important as our IQ as leaders, everything like that is so mission critical to the financial performance of the business that we're trying to build, right? And I, I think that's something that a lot of people maybe miss when they get diluted by the success that they have. 
they think it doesn't it doesn't matter or it's uh, it's not applicable to them. And I think that's the the wrong conclusion for sure. Um, right. Sorry, that was a bit more of a ramble, not a question. But, um, you know, <laughs> it, it, I, I don't I guess maybe what I let off with around the generational piece. I don't know if you if you think about it in those terms of like some of the different age strata of your clients, you know, and, and some of the different challenges they they encounter at, at, at different ages relative to some of that kind of relationship development and everything. It, 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 do you see anything in that? Is there is there any credence to what I'm saying at all? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. And I loved your your rant. I thought it was completely applicable and appropriate. You know, I always say that leadership is relationships and relationships begin with you. And so we need to be really aware of how we're thinking, how we're feeling, what our energy is. You know, in psychology, there's a term called transference where or mirror neurons, however you want to call it, where um, how you're feeling has a direct impact on our exchange. If you walk into the room and you're high anxiety, I'm going to be walking on eggshells before I actually figure out why I'm walking on eggshells because we play off of each other that way. And so it becomes really important to be aware of ourselves and how we are thinking, feeling, and the energy and the um, frequency we're putting out there because everyone around us, like it or not, they have to be exposed to whatever we're going through in that moment. As it relates to generations, you know, there's this is actually very a very interesting topic because you see it on both sides where you may have a leader who is very seasoned and the leader is the person who's older and they're trying to lead and develop people who are younger than them. So those these people think differently communicate differently. You know, they communicate with emojis more than they do words sometimes. And so for somebody twice their age trying to make a connection, that's going to take some intentionality. On the flip side, sometimes I'm coaching doctors who are newer to the industry and they are trying to lead and develop people who have been assisting or practicing hygiene for longer than they have even been alive in some cases. And so that again, there's that gap or that um, area of opportunity to develop. How do I connect with this person who undoubtedly has experience and a lot of relevant advice and also needs my guidance in some areas? Yep. Yep. Very, very well said. Let, uh, let's maybe shift gears just a little bit. And I want to talk about, um, you know, maybe the the biggest challenges um that you see your your clients encountering like what are what are some of the the big hot buttons i mean I'm, you know we can probably spend hours talking about stress levels and and you know anxiety things like that but you know digging deeper into to some of those areas that that you see um are the the biggest pressure points for some of your clients if uh if you could bucket a couple of them that'd be great yeah there are two that immediately come to mind when you ask that question parent and i'm glad that you did the first is confidence because we all like to hang out where we're confident and we kind of like to ignore or procrastinate paying attention to the areas that we're not. But that's where a lot of investment is needed to propel ourselves and really step into those leadership shoes the way that we have the ability to. And, you know, um, 
I was recently speaking at the Oak Point Symposium that was held earlier this year. And at the end of my talk, um, I did a live podcast with one of the doctors I've been working with. And during that podcast, there the whole room was clapping and cheering because it was very moving as he described the impact that coaching had had on him at a confidence level. Because let's face it, when we're not confident and we're walking around um, either self-scrutinizing or feeling like others are scrutinizing, whether they are or aren't, that's our reality. It feels like we are um, being critiqued all of the time. We're not showing up in a most confident way. We don't promptly respond to situations. Um, we don't show up the way that we can and want to even to show up in those situations. And so confidence is a really big issue because it's usually accompanied by shame or guilt or um, a lot of other emotions, jealousy, fear. There's all these accompanying emotions with a lack of confidence. And so if we can uncover the areas that are holding you back, we can really make an effective plan to solve for those things and get people where they want to be as leaders. So that's the first one that I would say. And the second area that I think is so, so important, it's even important in my work is listening. And, you know, earlier this year at your event, even, um, Dr. Mark Cooper was talking about listening and the incredible impact that it can have or the detriment if it's not in place correctly. As leaders, we've got to be able to listen to both what's being said and what's not being said by the people that we're leading. Yeah, that's... Um... <laughs> It's trite to say, but that is kind of the silent killer, isn't it? <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's uh, um, or maybe it's redundant to put it that way for and on my end, but that that is really the challenge. It's the uh, open for interpretation and trying to read between the lines and um, you know, having the the self awareness to even pick up on the clues to begin with. So, um, yeah, very, very interesting stuff. Um, let's uh, let's kind of pivot off of this, um, maybe biggest challenges topic and and talk a little bit about um maybe our our target uh audience and that is the entrepreneurs who are building group practices you know everybody thinks uh incorrectly that if you're building a group practice uh all you want to do is sell it uh and there are a lot of people who have exit intentions, um, be they in the early stages of building a group or, or have already built a lot of success and are looking to take some chips off the table. Certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, probably, well, more than 50% of the clients we work with in a consulting capacity and those also in a, an associate partnership capacity don't have a predefined exit in mind, or at least not that they've, you know, clarified or it's not imminent. And I think that the interesting thing is that there are a lot of people now that are that are looking to build what I call lifestyle businesses. These are businesses that cash flow really well. There are a handful of uh, locations, a manageable number, whatever whatever manageable means. Um, but they, you know, they're they're businesses that the the founder simply wants to build a big a business that's bigger and not dependent upon his or her clinical skill set for its survival. And I think mm -hmm. there's a lot of merit in that kind of 
strategy um, to be big enough uh, to be a big enough boat, you know, to 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 um, weather the storm, if you will, um, which is more challenging to do in a solo practice, obviously. And I think the these types of lifestyle businesses, you know, can can be uh, wonderful businesses to own and operate for a long period of time, um, but getting from one to four locations uh, can be outright challenging uh, because, you know, you're, you're still working clinically, you're looking for practices to acquire, you're kind of negotiating the sale with the seller, you're hiring associates, hopefully you're developing associates, you, you know, you're dealing with the banks, uh, it, you're wearing a lot more hats and you're in, a, in more than one four-walled building. So I think what catches a lot of those entrepreneurs out is the 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 level of stress, the anxiety, the the pressure um, uh, that's on their shoulders when they're going through an initial phase of growth and scale. And and I wonder if you couldn't maybe draw on some examples of of people you've worked with, you know, that are in that quasi clinician capacity as well as a leadership capacity as well as like a a growth <laughs> phase too i mean it's like put it in a blender and turn it on high right and i mean we all know what you get but uh, in any insights you can share because i think that's really what's where our audience uh, lands all too often for this show mm-hmm. yeah no i think that's a great topic and you know we talked earlier about the importance of creating psychologically safe environments for our teams. And, you know, the data indicates that teams that feel psychologically safe, they learn more, they're more productive, they're higher performing, and they work better under pressure. The piece I think that we neglect sometimes, particularly when we're in that growth phase, and the one you described is probably the most tedious, Um we forget to be really good self leaders. And so I've never met parent. I've never met a a business owner who owned one or 10 or a hundred practices who said, you know, the money made it worth all the hell. I'm just so glad that I was terrible on myself. And I'm so glad that I, you know, destroyed my relationships with my family. And I'm really glad that I was a boss hole at work. Nobody says those things. Right. Um, And I stole that from, from Mark Costas. I love that. He says that boss hole, but That's right. But, you know, um, the reason that that's happening is because we're not self-aligned. And so I think it's very important to take our internal temperature and determine where am I at in my anxiety and what do I need to do? Do I need to talk to someone? Do I need to go outside? P.S. Talk therapy is effective for about 50 to 60% of people. Most of us need something else with it, like nature therapy or um, something that has to do with utilizing our other senses, something creative, something with uh, something aromatherapy. It's important to take our temperature and know where we're at so that we can know when we need to pause or pivot or just do some reflection. But when we're not being a really good self-leader, it shows up in every other area and it impacts our relationships at home. It impacts our relationships at work. It even impacts our ability to grow and scale our businesses at the pace we actually could if we had clarity and we were able to focus and we were able to show up with that good positive energy. You know, you can't you can't possibly put all of your energy into building something if you're also managing such high levels of stress. We weren't designed to do that. 
you know, if we jump out in front of a bus for a moment, we're going to panic or we're going to have this intense fear response. And that's important. So we get out of the way, but we can't operate with that in that same level of fear and anxiety and stress all of the time. But a lot of us try. Wow, that's uh, that's a couple of minutes of genius right there. I, I, I was following that um, at a, a probably a far too personal level, <laughs> but um, you know, it, it, it's it is a re. I mean, you you kind of corroborate directly with your answer right there, Chelsea. The the reason that we asked the the same question of every client, and this is in probably you know all but a handful of the decks when I do presentations. And that is, you know, I, I try to impress upon people to to take some time. And if we're having this conversation three to five years down the road, how do you f- define success both personally and professionally? And uh, what I find in, in working with so many clients is that they can give you the, the professional answer at the drop of a hat. And far too many of them have not considered the personal answer. And in these types of businesses that we're talking about, those two answers are are intertwined and are inseparable. And, mm-hmm. and to your point about making truckloads of cash at the expense of, you know, your personal health, your your kids don't want to talk to you, it costs you your marriage, like all of that, that you can't have that type of collateral damage on one side of the ledger and look at your bank account and say, hey, things are great. You know, <laughs> if so, that 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 just doesn't work. Um, or it only will will work for for a brief instant in time, but it's not sustainable. So um really, really great insight. Uh, and and really a great answer. Um, let's uh, let's maybe wrap up our our discussion today. This has been tremendous and and very impactful. I, I've enjoyed it personally, and I know that everybody listening to this is going to get a lot out of it. Um, tell us how you actually work with clients. Um, give us a little bit of the the process side of things, and you know, for for those looking for uh, your services, what what does that application look like? Yeah, so there are actually a few buckets. And so when I'm working with clients, I'm either working with them on a on an individual or a group level, and those are usually virtual. We have virtual meetings. Um, and we're working through the topics that are two parts. One, most important to the client, where they want to develop their teams. And two, what is the ro- those individual roadblocks that the participants are Um, experiencing. Okay. And so there's that aspect. There's also the opportunity, you know, there's some DIY folks who just want to learn on their own. And I have identified 13 areas that um, doctors and executives need to have in place to effectively lead their teams. They're really foundational. And I've put those into a a self-study course format that's available on the website, dentallife.coach. Um, and they people do it that way. That that is also available when we're working one on one or in those group formats. They have access to that content. But some people just want to try and do it on their own, and that's fine. If you're successful that way, that's actually great. Good for you. Um, and then lastly, I may do um, in person workshops, retreats, or talks. Fantastic. Um, that's 
di- hitting different people where they are and what their needs are and accessibility. That's uh, that's great. Good stuff. Well, um, Chelsea, we will um, link to uh, all of your contact information in the show notes. But for those who, who may not be reading the show notes, how can somebody get in touch with you? Sure. Um, I'm available on LinkedIn, Chelsea Myers, or all of the other social platforms. It's M-Y-E-R-S. You can also email me, Chelsea at dentallife.coach or the website, www.dentallife.coach. What a tour de force. Um, we are uh, we are recording this on a Friday and um, uh, it is a huge highlight of my week. And I know it's going to be a highlight for uh, for everyone when we drop this episode. But Chelsea Myers, I can't thank you enough for your time today. And, and um, I'm, I'm sorry it's taken us so long to finally queue up our schedules, but I'm I'm awfully glad we did. I really appreciate you being on with me today. No, thank you so much for having me. We'll go ahead and schedule the follow-up today for a couple of years from now. And then we'll be <laughs> that's, in, we'll be in that's order. right. <laughs> see, see how far out Microsoft Outlook can go in terms yeah, of the planning yeah. calendar, right? <laughs> God, that's uh-huh. ridiculous. <laughs> well, look, you're a um, you're a real gem. Seriously, I, I appreciate you being on today, um, and and I learned a number of things uh, uh, as I typically do through these uh, interviews. And I know our our audience is better for your time, and I certainly appreciate it. Like I say, we will link to your. Uh, contact information in the show notes uh, and certainly on all the social feeds as well. Chelsea Myers, thank you so much for being on the show today with me. Uh, And thanks everybody for being in the audience, being a listener, being a subscriber, um, sending the the podcast to your friends and colleagues. I can tell when when you do that because when you share the show with some of your colleagues, all of a sudden our, our download numbers bounce for some unknown reason in a random day of the week. And I can tell that somebody liked what they heard and then they went back and downloaded all 100 episodes prior to that. So thank you to everyone for uh, for being such a big advocate of, of us and the show for sure. If you've got questions uh, about anything on today's topic, or certainly around the uh, nature of group practices, you can submit it directly to me at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.